So it's about, well, it must have been June or July 2003. It must have been there because it was cold. It was winter. I had a, I had a bad case of man flu, which you know is the worst thing in the world. Women don't know what that's like. It was a Sunday afternoon. We had had our service in the morning at a previous church, and I was feeling quite paced, lying on the couch uh, with our boys that were very small, playing on the floor. And the TV was on; something was on. I don't know what it was. I was, I was semi comatose. I was really down. And the phone rang. You know those old ones that are connected to the house? <laughs> they have a leash to the. How's it put? <laughs> was the other voice on the phone. Now, I immediately knew who that was. It was Dr. Rex Matthew. I had met him when I was 14. And he's one of the people that God has used to have the most profound impact on my life. Just amazing. I uh, walked into... Baptist Theological College in January of, late January of 1988. And that's where the great man was the principal and a great scholar. And I was sorely afraid, I can tell you. It was overwhelming. So I knew the voice, and I knew why he called me Butt, because he could never remember our names. <laughs> so I'm sorry to burst that bubble to shatter your dream, but if he called you Butt, it was probably because he didn't remember your name. Um, and I'd been a student. I'd sat under him. Uh, but I knew, you know, he had lots of ex-students. Oh, Butt, will you do me a favor? I will kiss your feet. Will you preach for me at North Union tonight? No way! I got man flu. Well, I, a few th other things I realized when I was on that call with him. I, firstly, I knew he didn't know my name. He couldn't remember it. Somehow he found my phone number. Probably in the Baptist handbook. And I knew that if he was asking me to preach at Northcliffe, he hadn't had any luck on the other five phone calls he'd made. <laughs> That's Sunday afternoon, and now it was down to me. But how could I say no to the boss? So I said, sure, boss, I'll do that. I think it was about 4.30, and the church service here was at 6 o'clock. So we herded our cats, you know, the kids herding cats, Got them into the car, and the drive from Parkmore, where we stayed then, to here was on a Sunday afternoon, what, 20 minutes? I don't know. And I said to the boys, in my most loving fatherly tone, shut up! Don't move, don't speak. I'm working on my sermon. Got here and preached, and it was a very special evening. Very special. Shortly after that, I was actually at a lunch with, with, with the boss and with Dr. William Steger, who's also a very, is a very special man in my life. And we went for lunch at O'Hagan's in Randburg. Um, very boring, we're the only ones not drinking. Don't go to lunch with Baptists, that's, that's what I'm saying. Don't go to lunch with Baptists. But it was an amazing conversation because here was two of the greatest mentors in my life. And there I am eavesdropping on their conversation. It was that day that the boss convinced of the importance of the surgery he needed on his knees. Remember, he had bad, bad problems. Said, all right, I'm going to go for the operation. And then he went for that operation, and it went well for the first couple of days after surgery, and then he took a turn. And after struggle and much, much, much prayer by so many Christians around the country, and I'm sure parts of the world, and much prayer by the families at North Communion, 
He went to be with Jesus. And then I came to his funeral here, and I was sitting on some crates under the crow's nest there, and it was a three-hour sermon. I mean, it had to be for the boss, you know. Anything shorter would have been wholly inappropriate. It was about five sermons, uh, but it was just a glorious, glorious time. And one thing led to the next, and we started here in July of 2004. Joss had grown up here, spent a lot of years here, led worship, been involved with youth. So she came home to her home church, and it became our home church. And it's been an incredible journey. I'm not going to paint a rosy picture and say it's all been wonderful. Some of it's been really tough, really heartbreaking, really painful, very difficult. But there have been great moments, and this is a great moment today, not because it's my last Sunday, but because of the baptism that will follow this morning. This is, very, this is, this is the cherry on the top that Jesus is giving us as a church that is exceptional. My sister will be baptized, and uh, we'll tell you a bit about that later. But it's been, a, God's been faithful the whole way through. And I often spend time marveling at the miracle of the church. You know, it's the fact that we're still going after 2,000 years and doing anything vaguely that resembles the Great Commission is a miracle because it's not our church. But with our church, we would have gone insolvent, bankrupt a long time ago. The church wouldn't exist. But Jesus said, I will build my church. And not even Christians can stop me. So I thought, let's focus on the church this morning. Because that's who we are. And the one most, to me, the most beautiful picture of the church, metaphor for the church, ever, is the bride of Christ. There is nothing more wonderful, more glorious, more beautiful than the bride of Christ. I've done a couple weddings over the years, and what always amazes me is, you know, you have all the stuff, you have the bridesmaids, you've got the groomsmen up there, you've got the groom looking totally clueless and terrified. And what's interesting to me, just by the way, it's always the guy that cries. I got, I got the best seat in the house. I'm right there. It's the guy. The, girl, the woman doesn't cry. It's the guy that cries. Because he's so busy been acting tough and having it together, it hits him like a ton of bricks what's actually going on. But when, when the door closes for the, you know, and then the, the music, whatever the bride has chosen, sometimes the wedding march, something, some, something else, and the doors open and the bride comes walking, everybody is looking at her. Ladies, you're looking at the dress. It's all about the dress. I just see overwhelmed people Father, bride, family, and I always look at the groom. Nobody else is looking at the groom at that point, but I am. So that's when the boy starts to cry. That's when it hits him. And I always share a, a moment with him about that at some stage. All eyes are on the bride, and rightly so. As a man, I won't pretend to understand that. I just go along. Because, guys, we don't understand these things. We just don't understand these things. But we love our wives, we love our brides, and we're commanded to do that, aren't we? So let me read you Ephesians 5, from verse 15 to 33. Paul, speaking of the church at Ephesus, we actually remember in Acts we are in Ephesus, and that's where we're going to stay. We got as far as Ephesus, 
I wasn't going to do Acts 20 today because that's him saying goodbye to the elders. That's far too sad. That's far too, too many tears in that chapter. But there might well be some here. So Paul, speaking to the church, the saints in Christ at Ephesus, says to them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in verse 15 of chapter 5, Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. This was written 2,000 years ago. Eh? How relevant is it? It's more up-to-date than tomorrow morning's newspaper. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, use your noggins, think, consider what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, recklessness, evil. Instead, be filled, be controlled. In the same way that alcohol controls a drunk person, you be controlled, where that brings debauchery and craziness and pain and heartache and all kinds of things. You be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Speak to one another. How do we know when we're filled by the Holy Spirit? Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Any problem I have in that verse is those two words, always and everything. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, if there's a gap in your Bible between 21 and 22, that's evil, that's wrong. I don't know who put that in there. That is so bad. Doesn't belong there. Remember, Paul was writing a letter. He didn't put chapters and verses. Do you do that when you write a letter? An email, chapter 1, verse 1. No, this was put in later for us to find a way around. So this gap, this unholy divorce between 21 and 22 is a major problem, causes all kinds of problems. But it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. We have to be commanded to do that because we're not very good at that. We want to, but we're just not very good at it. Wives are commanded to respect, to submit. Husbands are commanded to love. It's equal, but it's, it's opposite. But they're very complementary. Not opposite, they're complementary. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, the scriptures, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, a radiant bride. I've never seen a bride that's not radiant. Never seen that. And presented to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Men, we have a very difficult job. We better depend on Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Man, we, we now have products for men. We've got, we've got skin and hair products for men. I never thought I'd see the day. Oh, we love our bodies. Well, love your wife that way. He who loves his wife loves himself. Don't say he who loves himself loves his wife. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body but feeds and cares for it. Let's not go too much into that. Just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body for this reason. Genesis 2.24, Matthew 19. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Indeed it is. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of God. 
We don't write it, we don't change it. And we don't apologize for it. We seek by the guidance of the Holy Spirit to obey it. Because it is God's will. So here's this amazing picture. And you'll see, as you read this, that for Paul and for us, it should be the same, that the picture of Christ and his bride, his church, and husband and wife are inseparable. He can't speak about one without speaking about the other one. Because marriage is the picture of the presence of God on earth. The image of God. Let us make man in our image. Male and female. There are only two genders. There are a whole bunch of things that I think, as this generation, all of us, if we, if we live to be old enough, we are going to be embarrassed about. So embarrassed about. And one of them is going to be how we corrupted the picture and the image of God in mankind with all this mess of alphabet soup sexuality. LGBTQI. Male and female. Boom. It's God's word. We don't write it. We don't change it. We seek by the power of the Holy Spirit and our love for Jesus to live in obedience to God and his word. So let's take the word bride. Easy one to remember. I think you can all remember that. Say it after me. Bride. Okay, so it's not a new concept, but we're going to take this word, a very well-known word, and we're going to use the letters of this world, the word, to build up a message of the bride of Christ, the church. So every letter of the word is going to represent something. B is about the fact that we belong. We belong. When, when a husband and wife become a husband and wife, they make a declaration, we belong to each other. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is very clear, wife, your body doesn't belong to you, husband, your body doesn't belong to you, you belong to each other. Don't forget, marriage. And why is there such an attack on marriage and biblical sexuality? Because it's about the image of God. And Satan hates the image of God. He wants to defile the image of God every chance he gets. So we must stand for the biblical picture of life, relationships, marriage, sexuality, everything. But marriage is such a profound, profound picture of belonging. Belonging. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that's the Old Testament, regarding his son, who as to his human nature, this is just so clearly put, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, was declared with power to be the son of God, which is a title of his divinity, the fact that he is God, son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship, Paul talking about himself, to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also, Paul speaking to the church, in Rome, what a place to be a Christian. Wow. And if you, if you study Romans, if you start to read Romans, you will notice how as he speaks to the church, inspired by the Spirit of God, he continues to undermine the power of Rome. He takes Rome on, head on. And you also, verse 6, are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the Trinity is mentioned in these verses. You can't miss it. You just read it for yourself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
We are called to belong to Jesus as his bride. I love it. You're called to belong. This wasn't an accident. You just didn't stumble into the family of God one day. You know, I've always thought the euphemist people, a woman falls pregnant. Like it's some kind of accident. You know, it's like you fall into, you, you fall into a manhole. Okay? You fall off a cliff. You don't fall pregnant. Where did this come from? So annoying. It's not an act. You are called to belong. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. Called to belong. This is the identity of the people of God. We are identified by the one to whom we belong. That, friends, is our identity. Not where we live, where we grew up, what we do. I think it was just last week. I got a message from one of my old high school buddies. And he said, hey, I'm putting you on a WhatsApp group with uh, old boys from 1984. I've been been out of school for 40 years. How ridiculous is that? Look at the pictures. These guys are old, man. (laughs) Time has not been kind. I haven't sent them a picture of me yet. But I realized in high school, I realized before that, but it came to head in high school because lots of things happened in high school, that I didn't belong to these guys. I didn't belong to their vibe. I wasn't part of their jam. I didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, you know? And I know you'll be surprised to hear this. I was a little outspoken about Jesus. But now we're all buddies 40 years later, you know? Everybody's catching up. But it was funny in the first couple days of that WhatsApp group just exploding with Oaks connecting. And and we're all over the world, literally all over the world. I just remembered stuff that happened, not bad stuff. But stuff that reminded me all the time. This world is not my home. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I'm here. I'll do my best. But I don't belong here. I belong to Jesus. And that makes a big difference with how you live and what you do and what you say and where you go. They're talking about stuff. I don't know if we were at the same school even. No, I don't know if we were at the same school. We do not belong to this world, my friends. Stop pretending to belong. Stop trying to belong. We don't belong. We're here because God wants us to be here and we're on mission, but we don't belong here. We belong to Jesus Christ, and we belong to each other. As a husband and wife belong to each other. And more than that, and the beauty of this is we are called to belong. We are chosen by God to be his bride, his people, his saints. We've got a whole word to get through, so let's keep moving. So B stands for? Belong. R reminds us that we are redeemed. What a beautiful word we don't hear much about anymore. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This child and forever I am. Redeemed is a word that comes out of human slavery and it's still with us, sex slavery, sex trafficking. Child slavery is rampant in our world. So is piracy, it's amazing. All of these things are back with a vengeance. But we are redeemed and we are saved. We are bought, literally bought out of slavery. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's here somewhere. 
My sister's just going to get ready for the baptism. You've got to stay to the end today, guys. You've got to stay to the end. You don't want to miss this, man. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. And we'll read a bit more than that, obviously. From verse 15. Do you not know, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, another pagan city in the Greco-Roman world, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Well, no, this one was probably, this was in Greece. What am I talking about? Corinth. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ, unite them with a prostitute? Never! He's talking about sexual purity here. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? For it is said, oh, we just read it, in Ephesians 5, now it's here in 1 Corinthians, Matthew 19, Genesis 2.24, one flesh. The two will become one flesh. So the powerful and beautiful, and I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry that the church for hundreds of years has treated sex like a dirty thing. It's one of the subjects on which we have been silent and we have caused such damage in society because we don't celebrate the gift of sex and the beauty of man and wife celebrating the one flesh union in the beautiful, beautiful act of sexual union. We should never apologize for that. We should never talk about it in hushed tones. It's beautiful. The two will become one flesh. And one flesh, biblically, means body, soul, and spirit, the whole of us. It's not, it's not just a, a physical act. It's representative of, a, of a, a deep, gloriously mysterious, wonderful, and beautiful union that a man and wife have together. And, we sh and let me tell you, Jesus doesn't leave the room. He doesn't leave the room when, when we celebrate the beautiful gift of sex. It's his gift. He made it. He loves it. I'm so sorry the church has messed this up so much. But he unites himself for the Lord is one with him in spirit. So the analogy, the metaphor continues. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's naughty? No, because it denies and defiles the image of God. All other sins a man commits outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know? So he knows they know, but they're not living like they know. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And, and, and it's very likely that as Paul speaks about this, he's, he's referring to the slave market, but also to those who were sexual slaves, bought purely for the purpose of satisfying someone's sexual lust. Before Jesus gets hold of our lives, we live for ourselves and other people abuse us. That's a very quick summary of life without Jesus. And people still think they're in charge somehow. Do you not know you were bought at a price? Therefore, honor God with your body. There's the picture, the slave market. And if you and the Friends or family, your brother, sister, father, mother, relative, neighbor, someone you love has got into slavery. There's different ways to end up there. But they're there, and you can, you can, you can get enough money together to pay the price. You could redeem those people from slavery. And they would actually receive a certificate of redemption so that the old master couldn't put them in bondage again. We carry that certificate of redemption in our hearts, in our spirits. There's no physical mark. The mark of the beast is not a physical thing. The seal of the saints in Revelation, 
That's not a physical thing. But we are sealed, Ephesians tells us, by the Holy Spirit. We're kept, and we should keep ourselves. So we are redeemed. We are bought. And what was the price? Christ himself. The darling of heaven. The treasure of heaven. The priceless. The centerpiece of the whole of heaven. On the throne sat a lion who was a lamb. And the lamb had been slain but now lives forevermore. The very centerpiece of heaven is the throne of the Lamb of God. And he gave himself. You see, we don't obey, or we should never obey out of fear or trying to earn favor. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey me. Our, our demonstration, the way we demonstrate our love for Jesus is to obey him. Because our Father, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, will never give us stones and he'll never give us serpents. With Jesus, it's always fish and bread. Always. You might be blaming the Lord for giving you, when you ask for bread, giving a stone. It's bread. You might be blaming the Lord for you asked something in your life, you didn't give it to you, or something else happened, and think he gave me a serpent. It's fish. He's too loving. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts? Matthew, Luke's version, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit, the best gift, to those who ask Him? So we are redeemed. So the first two words out of our word bride, speak about things that God has done. They are finished acts, and they are who we are. They're redeemed, bought, paid for with the precious blood of Christ. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. That's what the verse says. And on the basis of these two things that God does, there are three things that we must do. There, there's a way of life that is required of us, and the IDE of the word bride will help us remember this. So B stands for? R stands for? Okay, and the I stands for insight. Insight. Spiritual insight into life in all its complexity and all its wonder. This is an amazing verse. This smacked me in the head when I was studying this this week. I spent, spent quite a bit of time just on this for this verse, this concept. Books have been written about it. 1 Corinthians 6 from verse 14. Oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, right? Come on, stay up, keep up with me, correct me. 1 Corinthians 2 from verse 14. The man without the Spirit, that's a Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Do people like it? told that they're sinners, they can't save themselves, they need Jesus. No, I want to do it yourself religion that I can just add something. Because then I'm still, the, I'm still the centerpiece. Man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, if you're a Christian, you understand what this means. You've known it in operation in your own life. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. Now, this is not condemnatory judgment. This is not self-righteous. It's not holier-than-thou judgment. It's just we see that things are not as they seem. We're able to discern because we have insight, spirit-given insight. We see beyond the superficial. We see what's going on. And if you aren't able to do that, you need to think very seriously about it because how are we going to be salt and light if we can't discern what's going on? Now, I remember once going to a physio. I go to physios a lot because uh, I'm very good at, at injuring myself. Okay? And I said, I've got this weird pain here, here, and here. And he said, oh, it's that. I said, no, it's not. I mean, I mean I've come... It's kind of like being a pastor, you know? I've come to ask your advice, but I'm going to tell you you're wrong. 
I said, the physio can't be here because the pain is here. He said, no, the problem is there. I had ITB. No, I didn't have ITB. I have, what did I have? Runners know this thing. No, it is ITB. Ileal tibial band, yes. Other one's IBS, that's irritable bowel syndrome. Not that. <laughs> I've got that too, and some people that make it worse. But anyway, another, another day. Ileal tibial band syndrome. It's this massive rubber band that goes from your hip into your knee. And my pain was in my knee. I thought my knee was broken. He said, no, it's over here. It's a problem here. I said, no, it's not. How can it be? He said, shut up and lie down. Gave me exercises and did a whole bunch of stuff. How did he know that when I came in with this really vague, funky description, and I even argued with him? How did he, because that's what he does. That's his job. Oh, no, that's that. Anybody who's good at their job is going to be right more often than they're wrong. We're never 100% right, but you're going to be right more often than you're wrong. If, if you're wrong more often than you're right, then stop. Don't get paid. Tell them, I don't, don't pay me. We should walk into a situation, a room, a, a whatever, and with spiritual insight, we can see things that are invisible. I'm not saying find a demon behind every bush. Just know what's going on. Where was I? Oh, the spiritual man, verse 15, makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Can we tell God what to do? No, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. That means Christ in us, the hope of glory, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, remember all of God at work in all of me, all of us, all the time. We have the mind of Christ. We should have insight. We should have discernment. This is huge. This is massive. Half the mistakes we make in our lives, okay, let's be generous and just say half, probably more like 99%. And the mistakes and the dumb things we do as church is because we're not exercising what we have, which is spiritual insight. See things as they are, not as they seem. When you're talking to somebody, whether you're witnessing or hearing their story, don't always tell people your story. Save that. Listen to their story. You, you don't just hear what they say. You need to ask, why are they saying that and not saying that? That's insight. That's spiritual insight. This is happening. Looks like this is happening. But that's just on the surface. Is that too vague? So somebody comes and tells me they've got major problems in their marriage. And to that I always say, take a number, bud. Like, but the real problem is something deep within themselves. See, other people are not our problem. We are our problem. And sometimes we get cranky with each other in marriage and family because our family exposes the stuff we spend our lives trying to hide. And so we blame someone else for it. We are the problem. But insight enables us to see that. The blessed gift of the person of the Holy Spirit and one of the blessed gifts of the presence and person of the Holy Spirit in our lives is insight. Begin to pray for insight, begin to study passages like 1 Corinthians 2 and others, Romans, Ephesians, and see what insight is and how it operates. We live very differently if we just make much of this. And it's, You see, the first two things, belong and redeem, God has done that. But these are things that we must now live and do in response to that. Apply Holy Spirit insight to your life. Doesn't mean be on your own mission, don't talk to anybody else. The body of Christ is absolutely essential. We belong. We're all part of the same body. 
Go get professional help. Take medication if you need it. Remember, I, I wholly strongly advocate prayer and pills. Absolutely. Christians can talk such rubbish. <laughs> no insight. No insight. Nada. Nada. Some dippy personal opinion that because they won't stop talking about it, they turn it into what they think is a doctrine, and then they want to impose it on me and you. And if you don't have insight, you're going to fall for it because they're very forceful people. Insight. This, oof. I will continue to pray for North Union that you exercise Holy Spirit insight into the calling of your next pastor and the fulfillment of the purpose that God has for this church. And by the way, when you are drafting the job description, just remember that when churches put together job descriptions for the next pastor, the angel Gabriel is saying, no ways, I can't even do that. What are you smoking? You want one person to do all of that? I was called to do three things, and I've tried to do them to the best of my ability. Preaching, teaching, and leadership. Those three things. That's what I was called to do. And that's what I've been trying to do to the best of my ability. And by saying that, there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm not saying. Apply spiritual insight and read between the lines. I was called to do those three things. And those, amazing, are my gifts. Isn't that amazing? So when the church called me to do those three things, I said, Lord, Lord that lines up with my, my spiritual gifts. So I'm, I can relate to that, and I'll do that by your grace to the best of my ability for as long as you want us to. And that's what we've done our best to do. All right, so the I is for? What's the B for? Are, I want you to remember this. The D, again from the picture of marriage, is devotion. Devotion. This is the response of the church. And remember, the church is always people. We are the church. You can't go to church. You can't tell somebody, when they ask you, what did you do on Sunday? Don't say, oh, nothing. Liar. But you can't say, I went to church, because the church is not a place. The church is the people. You could say, I went to where the church meets. But you can't actually biblically go to church. You are church. This is the response of the people of God, devotion. Again, there's the marriage. We commit to be devoted to one another, one another in the special one flesh union. That only, only God could think of marriage. Let me tell you what. You know what other people do? They live together. Marriage is a biblical thing. And, and I'm sorry, two men can't get married, two women can't get married. They can have a common law relationship if they really want to. But don't call it marriage. The biblical definition isn't definition is extremely clear what marriage is. Don't mess with what God has invented. You mess with God's stuff. You mess with his bride. You mess with him. You mess with my wife. I mess with your face. <laughs> Very clear. It will always be that way. But we are called to express because of his devotion to us which scripture is abundantly clear about. Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you in view, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Holy means set apart for God only. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you, will, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offer yourselves. See, this is a response. 
are for yourself. Romans 12, 1, 2. And again, you can, that Ephesian passage we read, 5 to 30, 15 to 33, it's a picture of marriage, devotion. Marriage is an amazing picture of devotion. And we can, we can be married and stay married by the grace of God. Can't do it by yourself. We didn't think of marriage. Marriage, pardon me, is not our idea. It is God's beautiful gift of his image in creation in the world. Aren't you people who've come late glad that I'm preaching overtime? <laughs> oh, it's all working out. It's all working out. And we're devoted to so many things. We're devoted to so many things. Aren't we? Why are you so quiet now? You should be saying, Amen. We're devoted to so many things. So we all understand devotion. It's just the wrong thing we're devoted to. So just, just be devoted to Jesus. Like that. I don't have to do a fat exegetical study on the word devotion and what it means. We know devotion. We live devotion every day. It's just the wrong things. So what's the D for? The E, and I love this. Uh, so cool to end on this. In the word bride. Expectation. You know a bride is so full of expectation. They've been waiting for this day their whole lives. It's palpable, that expectation. It, it's amazing. It's very moving. All right, I'll admit, it's not only the groom that cries at wedding. Sometimes I do too. Because I'm just impacted by the beauty. And this... The expectation that, you know, we say these things and we're going to want to grow old together. Hey, that's not for sissies, man. <laughs> that is not a walk in the park. It's ugly. It's gnarly. But the expectation at the beginning, you know, and I, I would sit down with a couple in prepping them for the, for the wedding day because I won't marry anybody I haven't met and I won't marry anybody who doesn't agree to separate, abstain from sexual relations until the wedding, a whole bunch of stuff, but it's for their blessing and for their good and to honor God's word. I'd rather not have to talk about all that stuff, but it's in the Bible. But when I speak to them about the, you know, how to have a good fight, you know, they look at me in horror and they look at each other and you can hear, you can hear the music playing. And, and it <laughs> And the picture gets all frosty around the edges. A little white, little white feather wafts across. That'll never happen to us. <laughs> if you're married for more than half an hour, it will happen to you. It will happen to you. Matter of fact, I've had occasions where these wonderful, you know, there are, there are wonderful, nice people in the world, way, way better people. Than me, and 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 I speak to him, and I discover they they've we've never had an argument. Only two possibilities. They live in different houses, <laughs> or they are lying. <laughs> then I start a fight just to watch them fight. No, 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 no. You will learn more about people when they get angry than you can ever learn at a Bible study or at a farewell tea or a church braai. Just ruffle the feathers a little bit. Get under the skin and watch them burn. And you take notes, not to judge or criticize, but to help, to help. Anybody want to come for free counseling? <laughs> you got three days. Expectation. 
watching and waiting. The word itself just gets me excited. Expectation. This should be the attitude of the bride. The bride of Christ, the people of God. We, we can live with expectation because Jesus loves us. And he's given himself for us. And life can really be sucky and painful and stuff happens, man. Oh, crazy stuff. You know what I'm talking about. But if, if we know the love of Jesus, if we know we're a part of his people, his body, his church, his bride, we can always live with expectation. Because God is always up to something. I hear myself saying it so often. God is always up to something. He's always doing something. And most of the time, we're so wrapped up in the, the daily mission of life. We are far too busy. We are far too busy. We're so wrapped up in the daily devotion of life or the craziness of life that we forget about Jesus. I'm wearing two rings these days. This one I've worn symbolizing our marriage of 33 years, which we celebrated earlier this month. And this one, how cool is this one? That's my dad's wedding ring. My mom gave it to me the other day, and I still can't believe I'm wearing it. I grew up with this a part of my everyday experience of my dad. Over six, well, 60 years of marriage. Almost 61. Almost 61. I've almost got 100 years of marriage here. <laughs> How cool is that? I didn't even think it would fit, but I, you know, it fits so well I forget I'm wearing it. It's like my wedding ring. And then I look, oh, yeah. You're married, idiot. Don't forget that. <laughs> Love your wife as Christ loves the church. And thank the Lord for your dad and his faithfulness to your mom for over 60 years. What a legend. Wow. 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 And because we're part of the bride, he is at work in us. The Bible is full of this stuff. To will and to do according to his good purpose. And we can't even understand half the time because we don't exercise insight. We don't understand what he's doing. Lord, what are you doing in my life? Why is this happening? For my glory and your good. I, I, I repeated this to someone the other day talking about life and challenges how much we worry unnecessarily. You know, when I was a kid and my dad, with his ring on his left hand, said to us, get in the car. Wait, Dad, sorry, sorry. A couple questions here. Is the car serviced? Did you fill the radiator, check the oil, tire pressure? Do you know where we're going? How long will the trip be? When will we be back? When my dad said get in the car, I was in the car. <laughs> Sitting on the back seat of that big Buick Skylark. Plenty of space for us. Three sisters. Pray for me, man. I survived three sisters. <laughs> and I could peek out the window, you know, and I just saw stuff going by. I was just along for the ride, but I knew something was at the end. Maybe it was, ooh, maybe it was, maybe it was an ice cream. Maybe it was, you know, for us, when we were kids, to go to the Golden Arches, to go to McDonald's was a big deal. That was like once a month. That was, a, that was some sort of crazy celebration. Maybe it's, maybe it's that. Maybe we're going to some friends and we're going to have a great time and play, because... We, we, lived, uh, we lived free, man, in those days. 
But I knew something good was going to happen. Unless it was the doctor or the dentist, you know. But, but as a kid, I was always filled with expectation because I trusted my dad and I knew he had this covered. So I didn't have to worry about all these. The de- I was just along for the ride. Would you, my brother and sister, would you just chill out and leave the details to Jesus and enjoy the ride that's called, it's called life. And it's called the abundant life. It's the life of the age. It's the life of the kingdom of God. Oh, what about this? I don't know if we get enough money. Just enjoy the ride. Whenever I say that, Christians say, yes, but you don't understand this. I understand it. I just don't worry about it. After Wednesday, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know how long it'll be that I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm going to have a great time enjoying the ride. Because God is so faithful. When he says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side, we might hit the mother of all storms, but he didn't say, let's go drown. He said, let's go to the other side. And so we can be filled with this expectation. I want to just teach you one Greek word this morning. Start, and he loosening your jaw. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now to him who is able, that's a sermon right there. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Come back to that word. I know, I know, I know I'm over time. Just tell me, wait, tell me to find back. <laughs> now to him is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power, his power, get this, that is at work within us. Ooh. To him be glory in the church. That's us. If you want to understand more of the church, study Ephesians. Ephesians 3.10, just a few verses above this, is another just brain bomb. Wow. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now the word I want to leave you with is this translated. I've used for years the NIV 1984. It's, I obviously like it. People always ask me, what version do you use? It's, you, can hardly, you can hardly find it anymore, but it's before the NIV went pear-shaped. But in the NIV 1984, it's translated that immeasurably more. What does that mean in English? It means you can't measure it. You cannot quantify the goodness of God, and he's able to do more than you could quantify. And he does it all the time. Now, this word in the Greek is one word. Are you ready for it? Huperek perisu. Spell it, please. This is not school. This is not school. Sorry for you. Look it up. I don't teach school. I taught varsity level, so I don't spell stuff. Huperek perisu. I'll give you a spelling. Don't worry. I'll give you a spelling. But it starts with an English. We have an English word, hyper. H-Y-P-E. Oh, oh, that you're okay. Okay. It's hyper. Da 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 da. Bring your car, you can park it. What a great place for you to shop. You remember the ad. What are you laughing at? What's that ad for? Hypermarket. Hypermarket. Bring your car, you can park it. What a great place for you to shop. Hyper. Why is it a hyper market? It's big. It doesn't just have fruit and veggies or bread or milk. You buy all kinds of stuff there. Hyper. Hyperactive. When I was young, some kids were hyperactive. Now they were at ADHD and all these acronyms. ADT. Oh, that's sorry. That's a... <laughs> IBS. Oh, that's a, 
Hyper, it means way over the top. Way over the top. Let me give you a scholarly definition. Low and Nida, Greek scholars say, an extraordinary degree involving a considerable excess over that which is expected. Hyper. And the second part of the word is abounding. Ekperisu. Now you can't split words. People do, oh, the Greek is this and the first word. You do that with butterfly. Butter means butter and fly means fly. And you put that together and you've got spoiled butter. But not a butterfly. Okay? But these are composite words. And the hyper in front is the same one where Paul in Romans 8 says, we are more than conquerors. We are hyper-victorious. Huper, it's huper in Greek. Hyper is over, hypo, under. So a hypodermic needle. Oh, it's a needle. Dermis is skin, so under the skin. That was for free. I just gave you that for free. Just I mean, like, when's the oak gonna land? I want to eat the cake. We're gonna do a baptism still. Hyperabounding, immeasurably more. Now to him he was able to do huperek perisu. Then we could ask or imagine, according to his power, how much power has he got? We can't even harness one lightning bolt. And guess where this power is working? Definitely not Eskom. It's at work within us. Yo! Wake up, man. The sleeping giant. The church is a sleeping giant. And like Keith Green says, we are asleep in the light. Woo! Hyperabundantly more. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's expectation. One scholar, I put up one quote for you. Speaking of Paul, Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He glorifies the God who is able to do all this, who is in fact able to do far more than we could even think of asking him to do. So small is our vision of our need. <laughs> so small is our vision of our need. And so comprehensive and bountiful is his. You know what? When I, think, I think one of the predominant emotions in heaven, when we see Jesus, will be regret. Why didn't I trust him more? Why didn't I trust him more? Why didn't I take more risks? Why didn't I go further for Jesus? Why didn't I speak up there? Why didn't I go on that trip? Why didn't I give them money? Why didn't I regret? So glad he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. Even the tears of regret. But I think, I think, if you'll bear with me for a moment, the Lord is going to say, why were your prayers so small? I'm the how much more God? I told you a million times. Why were your prayers so small? Can we decide today we will live in expectation? Yes, people have, people have let us down. The world's gone stark raving mad. But Jesus has never failed me. And nobody, matter if you feel he has, he's never failed you. Never, never, ever. My expectation of Jesus is too small. My expectation of what he would do was completely wrong. Because I didn't have biblical Holy Spirit expectation. But he's never failed. He is so, so faithful. So landing this one. With the analogy of husband and wife, Christ and the church. Don't forget those. Here's a great quote I found last couple of weeks. Speaking of women, 
It says, don't criticize your husband for his faults. If he didn't have them, he could have chosen a better wife. <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. And yet, God chose us to be his wife. Broken, lost, so obsessed and addicted to sin. There we were on the slave market, on the block for sale. And Jesus said, she's mine. Read, read Hosea. Go read Hosea. Those 14 chapters will blow you away. Read Hosea. You are mine. I'm a dirty whore on a slave block in the market. No, you're my precious bride. You're my precious bride. You're my precious bride. We should be better, people. We should live better just because of this glory effect. And we can only live this way, the Jesus way, through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit.